Let's turn our Bibles to Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. Verse number two. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You're old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the nations other nations have. But when they had said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. But they have rejected me as their king. I'll read that part again. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as their rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, some uh, thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and his attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and all the donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, 
And he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone, go back to your own town. And this is where the reign of kings began in the Bible. Up until this point, there was judges that stood as ambassadors for the Lord to the people of God. They also settled matters from the people. And also at other times, God would raise that person up powerfully to defend the land or fight the land, to lead the land as leadership was required. But that man was not a king. That person was not to uh, receive that kind of tribute. He was just the Lord's anointed. They had a king. It was the Lord. The Lord has been leading me to speak about rejection this morning. And as I was talking to the Lord about rejection and listening to his heart, I said, Lord, what is the best example? Who, who has received the most rejection? Who, who can most relate to when we have been rejected ourselves? And, and, and what happens and what do we feel and what's going on and, and, and how do we move past it? And, 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 uh, and, and what, you know, all these questions were coming to my mind. What do you want to tell about rejection? And then the Lord says, I, I myself am the best example. Because I know what it's like to be rejected. I was the one who was rejected so much, so many times. I was their king. But they didn't want me. Now, remember, it says right here in verse number 8, uh, verse number 7. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. They hurt God's feelings, rejecting our Lord and our Savior. Why would they reject Him? Why would they turn away? You know, there's, some of us are in relationships where we're being rejected. Some people have been in relationships and we've been rejected. Some of you are in families where you're being rejected. I grew up in a, in a, in a broken home. Um, Many times on church on Sundays, we were smiling. But during the week, there was so much uh, fighting and anger and, um, you know, double life. And it, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a bitter thing. I would come home uh, in my high school days, and it was just insults after insults that were heaped on me. And this, this went on for over a year and a half. And uh, one day I just started crying at the kitchen table, just unable to take all the insults that my uh, family would, would cast on me. And uh, finally my mom stood up and said, leave him alone. You know, everybody thinks that people can take the, the abuse that someone gives you. 
the, the mean words, the kind-hearted, uh, the un, un, unkind-hearted things that they say. The things they say without thinking. And sometimes on purpose, they do things just to try and make you bleed and see you bleed. And people do these things to men. Sometimes when somebody's strong and they don't cry, it's like the devil incites people even more. Let's see how much we can hurt him. Let's see how much we can hurt him. Let's see if we can hurt his feelings. We can see if we can hurt her feelings. And so often you'll find yourself being attacked at angles constantly by the enemy. But it's not you per se that they're really rejecting. For if you remain in the Lord, the Lord remains in you. It's not you. It's Him that they are rejecting. Samuel was, was about to be tempted to take this personally because he represented the, Lord, uh, the Lord's uh, word on the, on the earth. When he spoke, he was speaking the, speaking the words of God. He would go and consult the Lord and the Lord would use him to speak. And so when things were not happening according to his... Samuel's desires, he was affected on a personal level, but really it was affecting the Lord. And, and God wanted him to separate that. He said, you know, it's not you that they're really rejecting, it's, it's me. Yes, you're in the midst of these things, but there's, there's a reason. The enemy hates you. And you got to remember that. What did Jesus say? If they hated me, if they hate you, remember... They hated me first. Let's go back to Jesus for a few moments in John 15, 18, 25. Now read it. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If, they had, if I had come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fill, fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. When people are rejected, often a person is tempted to think, what is wrong with me? What's my problem? Why? Why do people hate me? Why am I being pushed away? Why am I being rejected? What is the problem? But you know, I want you to think about something. If you stay with this mentality, you're always going to be trying to become a people pleaser. You're going to take this mentality as yourself. You're going to want to try and change for every single person to make sure everyone likes you. And you're just going to seek out to try and be loved. Well, these kinds of people find themselves in very toxic relationships. 
especially women. I've seen so many cases where a woman has been rejected by a man. And so what happens is she'll start changing her standards, lowering her standards, becoming a different woman, sometimes becoming more promiscuous, um, doing things just to please, please, please a man and please uh, the men in her relationship. Losing her, the, the things about her, her godly fruit and her godly aspects. There's women who are really good, just an upright, upstanding women. But just because they want to be accepted by a relationship or a man, they will do things. They'll, they'll, end up, uh, they'll end up sleeping with another man just because they want to be loved by the other man. And not even realizing that that man has not promised them marriage. And he's not married them. And so they start having that kind of relationship. They start going down dark paths. They start doing things and to, to make, make others happy. In high school, teenagers are really, uh, uh, what is it, vulnerable to this. Because there's, they'll start listening to music that, they have, that, is, that is evil for their ears. It's not healthy. The Bible says whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, whatever things are good report. Think on such things and we'll start compromising with the, the world left and right. We'll start hanging around people who are uh, doing drugs and alcohol. Uh, for the believers, we'll start uh, hanging around friends who are drinking on, uh, here and there. And then we start noticing we're drinking ourselves. Things we just would say, well, we'll never touch those things. Because we're, we're set apart. We're holy. We're by the, by the Lord. We're, not gonna, we're never going to drop our standards. And then we find ourselves going further and further and further away. And then finally, we find ourselves becoming drunk and drunkards. And then we find ourselves doing things like, I have a friend, uh, you know, he used to be, you know, a strong man of God back in the day. And now it's, it's very sad because he's having a hard time even believing God exists now. I wonder what happened. But he, he's gotten so far and so far and so far. And now he's, what, he smokes two packs a day? Has no rest? He, he's constantly in, in a war in his relationships? And, and, I, and I pray for him. We come back to the Lord. Oh man, I thought he messaged me yesterday. I thought the Lord would be the last person that ever messaged me. I thought the Lord would be the last person to call me. But the Lord put him on my heart. He, he showed me in a dream that this man was crying out. And, uh, and so I told him the dream. He was like, you know what, I'm not going to lie. That was very spot on. I said, the Lord's hearing you. I'm nothing, but the Lord hears you. And he's reaching out for you. He still wants you to come back home. You know, I don't need him to come to our church. Right? He can go to any church he wants to. But if he comes here, praise God. I care about him. I love him. But what we do is we start, when we start rejecting the Lord in his holiness, we start rejecting the time with the Lord. We put, how do we do that? Well, we put other things in its place. But when we do, we start losing our identity. We start losing who we really are. Well, who are we? Well, for one, we're set apart by God. The Bible says, old things are passed away. All things become new and we become a new creation. That's found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. King James says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, 
all things become new. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, oh, I'm sorry. Um, John chapter 1 verse 12. John chapter 1 verse 12 it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. King James says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Another version says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Who are you? You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're of the family of Christ. You are to be a holy nation, a people holy, set apart. You're to be led by the Spirit. You need to be led by the Spirit of God because we're not led by our feelings. We're not led by our, our words. We're not led by, the, uh, by our own selves. But you can be. You can really dictate your life. But the sons of God, how are they led in life? They are led by the Spirit of God. That's a sermon for another day. But I want to tell you, you can lose your identity and, and, and forget who you are. And, and there's no difference between you and the world at the end of that. How scary. In last week's message, I... I had uh, said the scripture as well. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, it says, Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Listen to the words just before the scripture in verse 16. What agreement can exist between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Who's the temple? You are the temple. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Who are you? You are his people. And then look again at verse 18. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. When we experience rejection, we can lose our identity by trying to seek acceptance from places we have no business accepting acceptance and seeking acceptance. There are places you have no business going. Why are you going there? Why do you go to, the, to these places and these things? We want love. We want peace. We want acceptance. The other day I was on, on uh, YouTube and I was watching like some of the videos I'm subscribed to and the Lord says, 
I want you to pray now. And I was like, okay, I'll pray in a little bit. And, and then I was just like, one more video, one more video, one more video. We get like this with Netflix and binge watching in America especially. And then I thought, why am I watching video after video? You know, five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes here, five minutes there for these short videos on YouTube. Friends, listen to me. This is what the Lord said to me. Why can't you put that down? Why can't you be with me? Why are your videos more important than me? Man, the Lord just spoke to me so strong. And I said, honestly, I don't want to talk right now. I don't want to pray right now. I'm feeling fleshly. I don't, I don't want to do anything right now. I just want to sit down and why? Because I was having a bad day? Because I was having some pain? And I thought, man, am I taking my pain and making it the Lord's through my rejection of Him? Yes. I'm too busy for you, Lord. So who hurts? You're hurting, so you hurt the Lord. I used to hear it said by a pastor a while back. Hurt people hurt people. Or in other words, hurt people hurt other people. In another phrase, when people are hurt, they hurt others. But now I tell you who you're really hurting as your Lord. You're not wanting Him to be the King of your life. Most of us want to just be the King of our own life. I had a friend told me the other day, I said, you need to seek the Lord for the answer for you, what you're asking about. You're asking about directions for your life and for your future. You need to seek the Lord. And this friend said to me, he said, I'm scared that the Lord will answer and tell me, no, I cannot do this. His dreams were his God at this moment. He wanted so much to do the things he wanted to do without doing certain things that he knows he should do for the Lord. And now he's scared to consult the Lord regarding these matters because the Lord may tell him, I don't have this for you right now. Or I don't have this for you at all. Because his dreams are so passionate. I can almost already tell him what the Lord is going to tell him. But what happens? It's a scary thing. Because you have to be willing to submit your life back to being the Lord as your king. The Lord is your Lord. Your Lord, do you know what that word means? He's your sovereign. He's your head. He's the one who's above you. He's the one. When they say give your life to the Lord, and people use that word so casually. Have you given your life to the Lord? Yes, I have. I have. And what they, what they haven't given their life to the Lord, their life belongs to themselves. They are, they are not his, their Lord's slaves. They are just, you know, compadres of the Lord. But remember, the Lord says, you are my friends if you obey my commands. And so now the Lord is asking us to submit to him as the king. No, no, no. I, I, want, I want it on my terms and I want it my way. You don't know what you're asking. We're doing the same sin that they did in the Bible days. We're asking for a king on our terms. And when God said, this is how it's going to be, what did they say? No. 
How can you say that? Yes, yes, it's going to be that way. It's going to be exactly what the Lord says. It's going to be a bitter pill to swallow when you wake up and you realize your best is gone. Why? Why is your best gone? Because somewhere along the way, we stopped wanting to submit our lives to the king and we were the one that sat on the throne of our life. And in doing so, we were rejecting God. We can do these things because we ourselves are feeling rejected at times. Let me tell you something, some of us, some of us are feeling rejected by the Lord Himself. And we get a little bit of unanswered prayers. And the truth is this, God doesn't answer you at the time when you want to be answered. The things we're wanting in our lives to happen when we want them to happen. Thank you. The things we want to happen when they're supposed to happen don't happen on our time and in the ways we want it. And so what do we do? Again, who's the one really being rejected? The Lord? Is the Lord really rejecting you or is He just telling you wait? Or is He telling you to come to Him? Or He's telling you to repent? You gotta, you gotta do things right. There's times when I've called my wife and, and um, you know, I've gone to my wife and there was an issue between us. And sometimes it was a big one. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll have this thing that this is a big, big issue. It's, it's, it's prevalent this week. There's a lives at stake and, you know, things, and it's just a big issue. And then I talk to my wife and there she is, and just happy-go-lucky and having fun and and, and she wants to play it off and uh, just laugh. Now there's a time to laugh and play, but then I go back to her and I says, I said, my wife, please, let's fix this issue first. We, we, this is still in the air and it's still affecting me. We, we need to decide what we're gonna do regarding such and such situation. And it was almost like, I didn't even want to have fun and play like she normally does. She's so fun and she's a great wife. And, and she's making me laugh and telling me all these jokes and stuff. I'm like, no, no, we gotta, it just bothers me. I really want to decide what we're gonna do about this issue. This is, this is something right now that's affecting our life and even affecting my peace and everything. And, and unless we figure this one out, I really don't want to get back to laughing right now. I want to, I want to fix this issue. Well, that's a earthly, a small earthly example. But there's times when it's like that between you and your relationship with God. When you know there's a big sin that has happened in your life. Or sins that have not been dealt with. And we just come to the Lord and we start asking Him, Lord, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. And the Lord's saying, hey, 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 first things first. I want you to repent. I want you to get it right. I want you to see what this is doing, what this sin is doing. How am I supposed to bless you when you're in this mess? But I do, I do want you to get it right. Some of us are in that mode where we are being denied access to the Lord because of our sins that are preventing us from getting close as we need to be. Listen to this scripture in Jeremiah 
29, 12 through 14. It is your Lord still asking for you. Even during the times that they were rejecting him, this is what the Lord had said. Then you shall call on me and shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken to you and you shall seek me and find me. And when you will search for me with all of your heart, I and I will be found by you. When you search for me with all of your heart, I will be found of you, says the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places from whence I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you again to the place where I cause you to be carried away captive. Here is a time in the Bible when we are actually being disciplined by the, by the Lord. But discipline is not rejection. Some of us are in a period where the Lord is spanking us. And you can either do two things. Well, fine, you want to spank me, I don't have to take your discipline, and you can go and do your own thing and run away from God. Go ahead. You're only hurting yourself and you're hurting his feelings. But he is righteous regardless of whatever you do. But here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to accept his discipline, to accept his reproof, to accept his correction. He wants you to accept that so that there can be a change and growth in your life. If the Lord allows you to hit rock bottom, maybe say, maybe, Lord, thank you. I'm sorry. Maybe start looking for the things that in your life. Maybe start searching your heart for areas we need to repent in because we have to start finding those areas and root out those weeds. Lest they choke out the Word of God and make the Word of God inside of you unproductive and unfruitful. As the Bible says, that the seeds that grew up among the tares choked out the Word and made it unfruitful and unproductive. God's Word is going inside of you. God is speaking to you. But what happens? All these other things in your life are grown up. And so now uh, they're, they're stopping what God has to do and wants to do for your life. So what did He have to do? What does God have to do? What do you have to do? You have to repent. You have to search for those tears and pull them up and say, Lord, let me get these things out of my life. I want to get back in right relationship with you. Before trying to ask God for things, why don't you start your prayers off repenting, asking God, Lord, search my heart. Is there things that are not pleasing to you in my life? Lord, forgive me for my sins. Make me right with you, Lord. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. And after this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In the same passage, where there's asking, what is there also? There's repenting. When you're asking for something, have that repentance. Have those moments. Is this biblical? Oh, yeah, it is. Check this out. This is what the Lord says. 
in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift at the live your gift there before the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now there's a lot of, to this scripture, and I'm not going to get into that right now, but I do want to let you know a principle. God wanted you to get things right first with your brethren so that nothing hinders your prayer. So how much so more when the actual issues between you and your God? I'll say that again. If the Lord is concerned with your human brethren, and getting and fixing things and making things right between you and them and at least doing your part to get it right how much more so when the issues between you and him you hear what I'm saying because many of us are, are, are going to God and and we're not we're not even realizing we've hurted his feelings not even realizing where we actually stand. But then I'd be repenting so much. I'd be repenting so much, Pastor Salk. Yeah, you sure would be. Some of you need to always repent. Always be searching your heart. What did David say? Lord, examine my heart. Search me and know me. Psalms 139, 23-24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. This is a scary scripture because everyone's, oh yeah, Jesus is with me. Jesus is in me. Jesus, are you failing the test? Are you even willing to test yourselves? Again, King James, examine yourself whether you be in the faith and prove your own selves. Don't you know or know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except ye be reprobates? So it's good to check your heart. It's good to check your status and your relationship with the Lord. Have I offended you, Lord? Am I rejecting you as my king? You know, rejection is an interesting thing. Because it leaves scars. It leaves scars yet emotionally sometimes. That, that take a long long time to heal and I grew up and I I suffered a lot of abuse in, in this manner I, I remember there was times when I just was just absolutely hated and the look in my uh, some of my family members eyes was like I loathe you it was a it was a terrible feeling to feel this way And then later I found out 
Is it me? Is it me? I was always asking, what's the matter with me? What's the matter? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? But I didn't really realize that when you're feeling rejected, most of the time it's because that person who's rejecting has things that they're battling. They have issues that they are feeling. They have things that they themselves are going through. Later on, it was learned to me um, and confessed to me by my dad during those days. And this is what, years ago, I'm what, 34 now? Here I am, what this was when I was maybe 15, 16. What was happening? My dad told me later on. Son, I, I was jealous of you. That's why I was so angry of you. I was jealous of you. Jealous? Why jealous? Well, because the church we were going to at that time um, was very becoming very business, very business, 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 business. And I was a student of those things. I was always studying success books and going to success seminars and learning, you know, this author and that author and learning this and learning that technique and reading this and Zig Ziglar and, you know, all these people. And my dad, he didn't, he didn't read books at that time. He barely was reading books. He didn't grow up in business success. He's a blue collar worker. He wasn't the manager of his company or anything at those times. He was just trying to be loved and accepted. And he didn't grow up himself without a father. He didn't have a father himself growing up. We didn't meet him until he was on his deathbed. He wasn't in his life. He wasn't the best example because he did not have the best example. How, how can I demand of my own father to meet me there? Be this good dad when he himself doesn't know. And so the one he did look like on upon as a father figure, he felt like he was in competition with his own teenage son because I had that favor. I was the one who was becoming learned. I was the one who was becoming knowledgeable. I was the one who was becoming a student of that, that success. And my dad, he couldn't keep up except for pretend. And he told me. There was times he came into my room and, and you know, in his, in his anger, destroyed my items. He took one, one time he took my very own uh, guitar that I was using to worship the Lord and smashed it. Right in my own room. For no reason. But what was happening? There was a reason. Inside, he was being hurt. He inside was experiencing turmoil. He himself was feeling this, this wrath, this anger because of these mixed emotions because he himself was being rejected or feeling that rejection, whether realized or unrealized internally or externally. It was how he was feeling at that moment. Truth or not, it didn't matter. What mattered was this was his experience. And because that was his experience, that was what he was projecting on others. Mostly directed at me at that time. And he held me in his arms and he cried to me and he said, Son, I'm so sorry. I love you. And God began to heal my family from those moments on. You know, I, I grew up in high school and ever since I started, I think it was my sophomore year maybe, maybe my freshman year I think, 
I was considered, uh, I was uh, called homosexual. A lot of, maybe a lot of people don't know this, but if you went to my high school, you might know. I was called homosexual in the locker room by, uh, by the men. Maybe there's a class of 60, 70 guys. You know, it was a big, big class. And it was not just that it was my class and it was not made up of different age groups. It was all my own peers. And all it takes is the most popular guys in school, the most cool guys in school, to start calling you gay, and then there it is. Now, <laughs> I always laugh about this because I don't have a gay bone in my body. <laughs> and I've always liked girls since I was in kindergarten. I've never been attracted to men, never have, never will. But when I would come home during those days, I would, I would go to school during those days, and. Everyone would call me gay. Maybe because I was a little feminine. I don't know. Maybe I took after my mom. I don't know. I really don't know at those times. But I remember like being so confused. Like, why are they calling me gay? I'm not. Yeah, I remember getting so many fights in the locker room. And people don't know this. I'm 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 the the, the Bible club guy. And what happened? You know? and, and and nobody knows that in the locker room at seventh hour I'm getting into fights. Why? Because they're pushing me around, calling me a, you know, these obscene words. Because they think I'm gay. They're so certain I'm gay. Which I was not. But it didn't matter. I couldn't prove myself. But I'm a little scrawny kid, guy, whatever. And it was painful to go there. And then I was like, well, Lord, I can take this. It's fine. I'll still forgive them. I love them. But then you go home. And those are the same kinds of names you're getting called in your own house. And then you go to church, and the church I was going to, that was my dad's church at that time, and um, some of the teens were also calling me that. Why? I, I looked in the mirror, what's wrong with me, Lord? Well, see, what, what's happening is people need someone to direct attention to when they are themselves are not feeling good or happy. It's like, you 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 have a, a uh, you have a, that if if everyone's making fun of this person they're never, they're not looking at you in your life and people people sometimes need that gesture and sometimes there there's even a a type of uh, mentality that people have where we'll actually change who we are some people especially middle child middle children they have this and you study this in family psychology you see but they'll actually you'll actually find out that. Sometimes a middle child will become more of a, a goofball, more of the funny person. Because if people are laughing, at, if you can get people to laugh at you on purpose, then at least you can control. And so there was at times when I would just find myself making people laugh. And, and to this day, it's a characteristic that I can do. And you'll see it sometimes come out when I'm with people who are very uncomfortable uh, or in groups of people. I know how to make everybody get involved. I know how to make everyone laugh. And then again, I've been a youth pastor for 15 years. I was always in front. So I had to direct that conversation. That way I can at least guide it. And I would make people laugh at me before they had a chance just to make fun of me. Now... Yeah, these things become part of a person's personality, but where are they rooted? Sometimes they are rooted because they're not, uh, there's not 
there's not a, there's a lack of love. There's a type of rejection that's happening in that person's life, in that person's heart. So sometimes if you look at the childhood experiences of some of these type of people, there's some of that. Not always the case, but there's a lot of majority where you'll see people and if and, and they're scared of people uh, making fun of them. So what they do is they make fun of themselves first so that at least we can direct that and regulate that. I'm in control if I'm the one telling the jokes and making everybody laugh. But then, is that who, you who that person really is? It depends. It depends on how they identify. I'm just explaining some things about rejection so that you can know the severities and the depths that these sometimes things go. But as for me, honestly, who I am really inside, I'm a very quiet person, very shy. I very much like keep to, keeping to myself. I really don't like being around a lot of people. Um, what am I? I'm always around people. All my life, I've been around so many people. I'm always, um, I'm, again, I was a youth pastor for 15 years. Uh, uh, that had a, uh, you know, been doing ministry for four years, or, or you know, with the with the one year in between. Uh, and what was happening? Always in front of people. Always taking care of people. People always coming to me. People always looking at me. Always in the limelight. Always, always, always in the limelight. But inside, who am I? I don't want to be in the limelight. I could live on a desert island alone and be really happy as long as I have a wife. You know, that's really all I really wanted. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm very anti-social if you actually know who I am. Now, people, people listen to this would be like, what? You know, if you grew up with me, you'd be like, what? Even more shocked because of what, you know, and what I'm a board gamer and everything, but for the most part, I could sit very quiet, very alone, not be bothered, be completely happy. Where does that stem from? Maybe it stems from growing up. Maybe these kinds of things stem from growing up and just wanting to be left alone. Those are also signs that somebody has been rejected. Now what do these things do? Well, they become part of a person's personality and they shape and identify a person. Children who are raised with such amount of love such amount of acceptance for who they are. When you fail, it's not like so much punishment. They, they, it, 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 it's, a, it's energizing. It's very empowering when, when we're allowed to just be accepted and accepted for who you are and growing up that way and allowed to fail, allowed to make mistakes, even as the Lord watches all the things that we mess up on and the Lord accepts you and accepts you and accepts you. Let me show you a, a little experiment they had done. I, I was um, telling them, I was telling Sister Angela this the other day, but there was, I saw on the internet, there was a ex, uh, science experiment where they had a type of game that was given. It was a very simple game. And it was a, you basically had to guide a ball to the end of the maze. And it was not that hard of a maze. It was just a timed maze. And they were giving it, they given it to um, many people. Uh, I think it was like over 100 people. But to half of them, one was, one was uh, one of the games, when you failed the game, it said something. And then to the other, it said something else. And here's, what, here's the difference in the games. And I'm trying to memorize it best. So if you find this experiment, you can give me the exact quotes. But basically it was this. Half of the people and the participants who played this game, and it was a lot, it was more than 100, I think it was, 
when they received the game and they failed the game, it said, you failed minus, and then they put a, a number, minus six points, or minus five points, I think it was, something like that. Now these points were irrelevant, imaginary points. But when people failed again, and they lost another five points, and then they failed again, they lost another five points, they found that so many people were apt to stop around try number 11 or 10. They just did not want to continue anymore, even though they could have con keep continuing. Instead of having punishment for failing, they just decided to give up completely. But the other half of people were just told, you failed, try again. And what would they would do? What happened to them? Well, what they did was they tried again and tried again, and they were up to try 20, 30, 40 times until they succeeded. Now these numbers meant nothing. But what happened was that how it was worded, there's no consequence for failure. So just try, just try, and just try. And what happened? They tried, and they tried, and they tried. And, and it was and it was because it was an acceptance of who they were, mistakes and all. And these people found success. But when men with punishments for just not meeting those standards, it, it was just a vastly different thing. Like, I, I don't want to lose these five points. These five points mean absolutely nothing. And yet, it hurts us in, in, in a way that we are, it affects us in such a way where we're not going to continue anymore. We're just going to give up. Because I'd rather not lose anything. I'd rather, and it's a self-preservation mechanic. And you're going to see this a lot in psychology. You're going to see this a lot in human nature. Self-preservation. But where does it go? From where we're being, where does it stem? Generally from where we have been rejected and where we have been hurt before. It, it was like, causes people to shut down. When you're a person who's been rejected, it causes them to stop trying at life. And when you go out and you meet people who are being rejected, you're going to see things about them. You're going to see characteristics that if they let that rejection take root in their heart, they will stop trying at life. And God desires you to be healed. He desires you to not carry that around. Now, praise God, I had a father who, who came to me and said, Son, I'm sorry. Some of your mothers have never, uh, and, and, and fathers have never fixed those relationships. Some of those relationships are still broken, and you know it. But it doesn't mean you cannot move on and you yourself become healed. No matter, no matter the trauma, because God is the healer. Now I'm going to tell you one story at the end of that, the whole time in the locker room. Near the end of the year, year, there was the most popular kid. I won't say his name in case he's listening. But he knows who he was. He was the most popular kid. And he was basically the, I want to say the, the ringleader of it all. You know, he had like top of, you know, it was almost like a little governmental thing, you know, 
He was the king. Everybody knew it. He was prom king and everything too. And then there was all these, you know, guys that were surrounding with him. And they, you know, all the other guys, if they didn't look up to him, they looked up to all the other guys under him. And they all looked up to him. And I would pray. I said, God, why, are, why am I being tormented? Why? Well, I serve you. I try to lead Bible study for you. I'm, I'm just a teenager. I said, but Lord, why am I being so afflicted at school and then afflicted at home? And then I go to school and, then, and I go to home. And the only place I'm safe is at church. And even then, things were changing for me during those times. I said, I don't understand. Help me. Help me, Lord. I'm not this ways. I'm not gay. Why am I constantly being bombarded and falsely accused of these things? And it just it makes me want to be angry. I'm not an angry person. And you guys who know me, you know, there's only been one time in my whole life when I've really been angry enough to do something and even then I didn't do what I wanted to do you know and, and even then the Bible says if this happens to a man he will be very angry and yeah that happened to me <laughs> but you know these things about me and what happened the Lord intervened he sees when you're being hurt and rejected somehow there was this event that yeah, it was something called Pride Town at that time and I didn't know much about Pride Town but, um, at that time, but basically it was a type of uh, unity camp. It was a camp about understanding others and accepting of others. And it was a, and they had invited the most popular guy in school to that camp. And his heart was touched. And his heart was changing. It was, it was about accepting people and it, even it was about sexu uh, accepting homosexual people. And, and, and caring about them, regardless of their sexual orientation. Now, for me, I'll just take a little side note. I'm a pastor. I'm always going to tell you the truth. I'm always going to tell you. But I'm always going to love people, whether they're homosexual or whether they're not homosexual. God doesn't want us to fornicate in these ways. God doesn't want us to live like that. If you have those feelings, are you sitting? No. These this, this feelings uh, are often... From how we were growing up and from our upbringing. There's a lot of reasons how we came the way we are. How we got to where we are. But you don't have to act on those feelings. Just because I'm a man or you're a man. And you may have a lustful spirit. You may be very lustful and you want to sleep with everyone. You give in to those feelings. What are you? You're a fornicator. So what do we have to do? Just because you want to go sleeping with, with everything that has two, two nice legs. No, I mean you can just go and do those things. And if you have a person who is struggling, and, or you're listening to me, and you're a person who's struggling with homosexuality, does not mean that you're allowed to just go and live those lives because you have those feelings. You have to submit those things to God. And God can heal you. Now, getting back to my story. Here we have this man who was learning to accept people for their homosexuality. And he goes back... <laughs> In the locker room, and sure enough, I'm being bullied. There's about to be another fight. I think it was about maybe my third tussle, um, and they're pushing me, and in the locker room. And then all of a sudden, he steps up, and he says, "Hey guys, leave him alone. You know, just let's just leave him alone from now on." And I'm looking up, and I'm like, "Oh." 
gay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's cool, man. And like, he's still awkward because he thinks I'm so gay, I think. But he like, you know, you okay? Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm okay. I think my voice was like, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. I can't remember how I talked back then. Um, and I was, I was like, okay. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're just gonna leave him alone for right now, for now on, guys. And looked at everybody and everybody's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And from that moment on, there was no more teasing until the day I graduated. There's no more. I was so relieved. I was like, I have no idea just what happened. But praise God for that. Whether he thinks I'm gay or not, I don't care. It's like he <laughs> leaves me alone, right? You know, praise the Lord. And things begin to change. And then things begin to get healed with my family at home. My relationships with people begin to change. Because the Lord sees even when you're in re your rejection. If you call to him, as, as we said in the Bible, you call to him, he will be found by you. And he will answer you. But you gotta, you gotta keep following the Lord, whether you reject it or not, does not give you the right to start rejecting him. Because we are tempted that when we're having our bad days, we're having our moments, we can just say, you know what? To blink with God. And we, it's, it's not heaven. To heaven with God. No, it's the other one we say. I don't need that. Some of us give up on Christianity completely. Some of us go back to just religion, to following just rules, rather than making yourself to have a right relationship with God. Rejection can hurt more than you know because it's hurting Him. But He still loves you. He still cares about you. He still wants to heal you from all those things. And if it's your season that you are experiencing rejection from your spouse, from your family, if you're being hated, I challenge you this. Maintain your integrity with the Lord. When you're being pushed aside, my life, by everyone, by your family, by your friends, by the ones you care about, and you're still being pushed aside, maintain your integrity. Do not stop. Do not give up during your walking towards Him. Don't give up, my friends. You keep moving. There is an acceptance that He will bring. And yes, will it manifest through people? Maybe. Maybe. I knew one pastor. He was powerful. He is a powerful, powerful man of God. I believe he's a Honduran. He had been serving the Lord. He had two children, two young boys. And his wife ended up having an affair on him. Sleeping with another man. He was a minister. And he was so distraught. And they ended up having a divorce. And she asked, Do you want to stay? Do you want to work it out? And she had said, No, I want a divorce. I want to, I want to go. He said, Okay. And she walked out the door and he jumped on his knees. And he lifted his hands and he began to praise the Lord as Job did. Naked I came, naked I shall go. 
For the Lord made the day, he also made the night. And then he said this, Lord, I praise you. Because if this woman wants to leave me, you're going to bring me another woman who's going to accept me. You're going to bring me another woman who's going to be my partner. If this one wants to go. And I'm going to tell you, and he told me this. this. And, and, and during that time, I was also experiencing a, a very similar situation. Those years of my life. And what happened? He said to me. He said, these are the things that happen. But look at up there. And you look up on stage and there's a beautiful woman up there. And he had new children and a new family and a new life. And he's ministering again. And he's preaching. And, and he would go up on the stage and he would preach in Spanish. And she would be translating into English at the exact same time. And I would, you have never seen any translators like this in your whole life. She, he, he would be on one side of the stage pointing one direction. And she'd be on the exact opposite stage. Symmetry, perfect symmetry, pointing the same. And their hand gestures were the same. And he would be preaching the same message at the same time she was translating it. Exactly at the same time. Like, he would say a word and she'd be saying the word at the same time. He would just go off and going really fast and just preaching, preaching. And she'd be preaching on the other side of the stage in English, the powerful. And I did my Spanish wasn't that good. But I was catching every word she was saying in English. And she was preaching like a mirror image of this man. And I turned to the brethren at the back of the church. I said, how is this even possible? He said, she's the anointed chosen one specifically for him. And I went to the pastor and I said, how is this possible? I've never seen translators. They'll make you wait and pause. And, you know, or they'll, the most they can do is translate a little bit after. But when you're moving in the spirit, this thing she activates in the spirit in the same exact way. And she herself is hearing the same words you're preaching for your sermon. They even ended at the same time. How is this possible, I would say? And he said to me, listen, brother, my first wife left me, but God chose this woman. I was rejected, she said, he said, but God chose this woman to be the woman. And he anointed her. Now, some people are, you know, oh, God doesn't, God hates divorce. Yeah, he sure does hate divorce. Oh, you shouldn't marry again. Well, the Bible says, Jesus said, except by the grounds of sexual immorality. Well, I permit you to divorce. But it wasn't this way from the beginning. It's because your hearts were hardened. If your wife or your husband is not willing to come back to you and come back to your marriage, I pray for you. But if that's the case, then may God bless you and still take care of you regardless because he knows the things you have need of. God knew that that man needed a new wife because his wife did not want to stay around and be apart anymore. And she left. And if she leaves, he jumped on his knees and said, God, you know the, the need. And what did God do? Now this, he's, his church is growing by leaps and bounds. Lots are being touched left and right. And I'm proud of that pastor. I'll go visit that church and I would visit that church pretty often. And that pastor, he would say, I have no idea to this day how this woman is able to do these things except by the hand of the living God. And he'd tell me this. <laughs> Praise God. Where you're rejected in one area, God will bring you love and acceptance. 
Who will tell you this? If you're being rejected in one area, God will still bring his love and acceptance to you. And maybe it won't come from that area where it came, but it will come. Is it always between a husband and a wife and acceptance? Sometimes. I will challenge you this. If you're in a marriage and you're being rejected by your spouse, please, 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 also be careful. Because in your quest to be loved and accepted, you can also open doors to extramarital affairs. If your spouse is not meeting all of your needs in one area, you need to sit down and you need to talk to them and have those honest conversations and complete those conversations and and fix those things because what's going to happen is if you're failing in the area, the devil will bring someone to give you what you want. But the devil knows what a person is looking for. When you reject your Lord, when you're rejecting your your ministry, when you're rejecting your own spouse, Satan will always bring a replacement for you. 